winner of Goodreads Choice Award for Best Mystery Slash Thriller of 2021, instant number one New York Times bestseller, a Reese Witherspoon book club pick, and over two million copies sold. The Last Thing He Told Me by Laura Dave, who on today's episode is a guest on Coffee with Kayla. And I am so excited to share this conversation with you guys because it was so energetic. It was so honest and fun. I got to ask her all the questions, all of the questions. How do you stay focused? What advice would you give young readers now? What inspiration led you to the last thing he told me? And even things like, will there be a sequel? And can you give us any information about what is in your Apple TV Plus series and more? So without wasting any more time, here is Laura Dave, author of The Last Thing He Told Me. Warning, emotions are felt and discussed here. Listeners may experience life-changing advice, water streaming from their eyes, and jitters from drinking too much coffee. We hope you enjoy Coffee with Kayla. Here is your host, Kayla Noble. (laughs) I've drank too much coffee already. Welcome to Coffee with Kayla. I'm literally so excited you're here. Like, please, please, please tell me more about yourself. I mean, do you drink coffee? Do you have like a specific coffee drink that you like to drink? Because mine's an iced vanilla latte with almond milk, which is pretty basic. (laughs) But do you have a specific coffee drink? What do you like to do? I mean, you're obviously an author, but. (laughs) Well, I love coffee. Yeah. That's, that was literally the, you couldn't have asked a more perfect first question because it's my favorite thing to do. And our one quarantine, like beginning of COVID hack was that shortly before, you know, like it was like December, 2019 was, was my husband's birthday. And we, we have a coffee shop near us called blue bottle where we would go like every day, but like multiple times a day, because my, my drink of choice is um, an almond milk, latte or an almond milk flat white really um like that's my favorite but we were going so many times that we were like I I was like listen this is economically not viable we need a new plan so I bought the mini version of the blue bottle machine like for his birthday present which I'm like Mm -hmm. this is an investment but we're gonna learn how to make it at home and like one of our friends who was a barista over there like came and showed us how to work it So this all happened and then like, you know, everything shut down for a period of time, but we can make like the real latte. Like he's like a barista. He like does like little trees, little hearts on top. So I have that every single morning. It's the number one thing I need. Um, Just, I have a cup sitting right here. Um, Like just to get through the morning and get through work. I, that's my favorite thing. Like it's what wakes me up in the morning. I love a cup of coffee. Oh, that's so exciting. I literally, I mean, I have the same thing. I can't say that I can do latte art. Even working at a coffee shop, I am still subpar at doing latte art, but I'm the same way. I got to wake up. I got to do the whole process. I have my own little machine, you know, sitting in the one corner of the kitchen that my mom will allow me to have. (laughs) And I, and it just goes from there. That's amazing. And so, and you said you like iced, right? Iced vanilla almond yeah. latte. Okay. And what what is your favorite coffee shop near you? I guess it's your coffee shop, right? Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, I work at Ozo's, which okay. Well, that's I, great. If I had to pick a favorite one, it'd be all the way down in Denver. It'd be Vibe. It's new. It's not even a year old. What's it called? I missed that. I'm sorry. Vibe. Oh, Vibe. Okay. Got yeah, it. it's got a pool table. Um, it's in an office building. It's two stories. And oh, wow. The bar is just absolutely gorgeous. It's this beautiful, just almost water droplet shape. Ooh. And it has syrup I'm on ready the to top. Mm-hmm. And then it also serves cocktails. So there's like the line of alcohol and then the line of syrups. And then the machine that they do all their shot pulling on is just mm-hmm. absolutely gorgeous. Ugh. That but sounds it, and, awesome. And the seating is just very versatile. I mean, there's all the things, you know, for a coffee shop, and that just absolutely embodies one. 
So how many cups of coffee do you have a day? Oh, man. If I'm at work, mm-hmm. close to five, in between five and eight. Right. Wow. And that's a mix of drip coffee and, you know, trying drinks on the menu. Because I'm pretty new to the shop. I've only been there for like a month-ish. Ugh, I'm impressed. That is awesome. And then... um. And then I'll have like a, you know, a double shot of something or maybe a triple shot Americano. And then oh, that wow. brings me, that brings me a little <laughs> bit higher. But if I'm not at work, if I'm not at work, <laughs> I would probably say probably like two to three cups. Yeah, that's me. Two to three. But I try, I try to do two. I try to keep it to two, but like we've been working on, um, uh, we're, we're turning the last thing he told me into a TV series. And so I have to go to work every day, which is like a new experience for me. Usually I go to work there. Um, yeah. so, um, so though, when I go to work, sort of like what you're saying, I'm like, I'm three to five, like three to five cups. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, people. But when I'm home alone, I can keep it to two. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely have to rein it in a little bit. I was actually thinking about that the other day because I got home from my shift and was like, I did not just have six cups of coffee. That did not <laughs> just happen. That did not it's just the, happen. It's so the now now I'm just wondering how much it's actually affecting me. Yeah, so exactly. Maybe rein it in. Maybe just, you know, it'll do its own thing. Yeah. You know, who knows? Maybe it's preserving you. I do believe they said there's a there was a study done that coffee's supposed to keep you sharp as you get older. I don't yeah. know that we, you know, so I'm going with it. Yeah, maybe maybe we'll just go with that. You know, yeah. If anybody asks me in 15 years how working at a coffee shop affect my health, it's just gonna I'm just gonna respond to them and say that it made me sharp. <laughs> yes, I like it. That's a great idea. Oh my gosh, but I would love to hear about the uh, like other things you do besides writing like your hobbies like what you do to sustain your creativity you know things you don't do you specifically are like I don't do that because I know that it drains me mm, you know tell me a little bit more about question. yourself I love how you asked that question um to like what drains me too well so I work in the morning usually I write I have a I have a six-year-old and so when uh we drop him off at school when I'm not in production like now um uh when we drop him at school, I just write in the morning. And then I believe, because I work at home, I believe like you really need sort of that work-life balance. And so a couple things I do is, um, a couple things I do are, um, I love cooking. That's like a huge a ho- hobby of mine. And so um, I feel really lucky. We I live in Santa Monica, which is a small beach town, like on the edge of Los Angeles. And we have great farmer's markets and, I love going, I go to the Wednesday farmer's market, Saturday farmer's market, Sunday farmer's market, and those sort of determine what and how I cook. And when I shut it down for the day, my work, um, I'll always like cook a meal for my family because that is a way for me to sort of uh, differentiate between my work life and my home life. Um, And we love the beach. We loved going hiking. Um, we take lots of car trips up and down the California coast. That's a, that's a real favorite. You know, I sort of felt like I'm a New Yorker and I moved out here for my husband and, um, I got, it made me really soft. Like now I cannot handle, like we moved back when my son was brand new and, um, one winter in like the freezing cold New York apartment. And I was like, I got to go back. So like, we'll, we'll be outside. Like from the time the sun comes up, we spend a lot of time outdoors hiking, um, you know, taking long walks, all sorts of things. So that's sort of what, what I like most. And then, you know, I feel really lucky because, um, we live in this great little neighborhood and we have a lot of friends who live really close by. And so it's a lot of sort of sitting on stoops and having coffee and glasses of wine at night after the kids are asleep. And, um, anyway, so that's a sort of long answer. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's, that's also so exciting too, to just like have that routine because it's not a routine. It doesn't fit the, you know, the definition of one, but it's just so familiar and so comfortable that it's just a part of your day-to-day yes yes and having that I think is so important that's so cool though well one thing that I do think is so funny because I love writing so much and I like I when I was just starting out as we were sort of chatting about um before we started chatting chatting um (laughs) I had 14 jobs when I was like 
because what I wanted to do so much was protect my writing time. So I couldn't have any job that had me do something in the morning. I could only do jobs in the afternoon or the evening. So I waited tables and I tutored kids and I worked at ESPN, like I was a freelance journalist, like all sorts of things. And like, because I was really trying to protect my writing time. And I always like think about like, oh, like what a blessing it is to have a job I love, you know, like I, I feel that way about writing. I have a lot of friends who are writers who like having written. I, I love actually writing. So, um, oh, the other thing I love to do, which I did not say in terms of hobbies is reading. It's like my total favorite thing. My TBR pile is so embarrassing. Like I can't even, <laughs> it, will, it, would, it would literally terrify you. It like takes up like half our bedroom, but like, I just love reading and getting, that's one of the reasons I wanted to be a writer. I just love getting lost in a really good book. Oh, that's, uh, was there an author in particular that inspired you a lot growing up? Um, I love um, jo Joan Didion, um, uh, who wrote um, several novels and essay collections. Slouch into Bethlehem is one of my favorites. Um, I love a book called Heartburn by Nora Ephron. Um, and I read growing up when I was in high school, starting in high school, and to this day, I read Pride and Prejudice like once a year. It's one of my favorites, Jane Austen. Oh my gosh. I literally just watched You've Got Mail with oh. Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. For the first time and no. now I can wow. I cannot believe that I haven't read Pride and Prejudice. Oh yeah. Oh you'll love that. Oh isn't did you watch You've Got Mail with your family? Yeah, I watched it with my mom. My mom and I have been on this streak of just Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks movies. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, oh my gosh. So we watched um Sleepless in Seattle a couple nights uh -huh. ago and then we just watched You've Got Mail. So which is your favorite? I honestly like Sleepless in Seattle a little bit more. Me too. It's my favorite. I just That's I also didn't know that I mean probably from New York you probably knew this but growing up in Colorado I mean I had no idea that the Empire State Building actually has like the heart. Yeah. On it. Yeah. For Valentine's Day I was like that why why am I just finding out this information now? Who's going to tell me? I mean my yeah. mom is from New York as well. So I was like, "Mom, you knew this and you didn't tell me. Why have we not gone to New York City during the holidays in February? It's amazing. It's amazing. They, and it, it changes. Like, on different holidays, it's different colors. It's different. They change it throughout the year to be different colors and represent different things. So you could, like, go to YouTube and see, like, all the things that appear on the Empire State Building. Dude, um, but I was in Seattle is my favorite. And, and um, uh just like you, I, I love I love her movies. They're probably the movies I watch the most in the world. I watch and rewatch those movies. Yeah, no, I guarantee I'm gonna end up. It's gonna go now through the rotation of yeah of movies because it's just it's it gets so much better. I strongly believe that the more you watch uh, the same movie, it gets better mm -hmm. just every single time. I totally agree. I totally agree. But that's amazing that Pride and Prejudice was <laughs> one of your inspirations, just because I literally just watched you've got that's, mail Did that's you, wild when you were just starting off to write the last thing he told me I mean it wasn't your fir first book that you nope. had published mm -hmm. what was it like to sit down and start to write that book knowing you had pretty much all of this experience writing you know, you know that's that's an interesting question because it was a real departure for me from my other books um it was a mystery and it was sort of a totally different genre. And um, I thought about it for a long time before I wrote it. Um, and I knew I wanted to explore the idea of how do we know the people closest to us? Like how well can we ever really know someone? But I wanted to do it in a way where um, what we find out is that you can become even in the face of all this questioning, you're not a, you don't have to be a victim of it. You get to become the hero of your own life. So it really took me figuring out how to make that journey work for Hannah to get into the writing of the book. And I started working on it all the way back in 2012. So a real, a long oh time ago. Oh my gosh. Wow. And then I put it down, I picked it up, I put it down, I picked it up. And it really wasn't until after I had my kid 
um, that I realized this was sort of the primal story of someone becoming a mother and somebody figuring out that, um, you know, the sacrifices we make for our family um, are all worth it. So I, you know, that's what I wanted to really take a look at, but I worked on it on and off for a really long time. Was that different from the other books that you've gotten published? Yes. Every other book has taken me probably 18 months start to finish. And this one took eight years on and off. So, um, and you know, it was funny because I was working on a different book. Um, I, I published two books that were not 800, a book called 800 Grapes and a book called Hello Sunshine in the, yeah. in the period I was working on the last thing he told me. And when I finished Hello Sunshine and I started working on a new book, my husband said to me, why don't you go back to that book? Which at the time, the last thing he told me was called Before I Knew You. And um, he's like, why don't you go back to Before I Knew You? You know, what if you made Owen bad, the main, the main guy? And I'm like, well, that's just, you know, in my infinite kindness when I'm, when I'm stuck, I was like, well, that's just the stupidest idea I've ever heard. <laughs> but I, it did make me pick up the book again and reimagine it. And I thought, well, what if it's not that he's bad, but what if it's, and this is a spoiler alert, but what if it's that he can't come home? What if it means that she has, that's where the sacrifice has to be. And when I thought about it that way, that's sort of when I unlocked what her path had to be because in all the previous iterations, they were reunited. Um, oh. And actually now I'm working on a sequel. So um, it might, it might be that actually they, they end up being reunited in some way. Oh my gosh. I'm literally so excited. <laughs> that was one of the questions I had for you. I wrote it. I mean, when I was emailing your assistant, I was like, this question has to be on this draft. I need, I need to ask. There were so many people asking about a sequel and just wondering, and especially, I mean, with how it ended and you explaining, you know, that they originally were going to reunite. And yeah, I mean, I think that's just absolutely incredible in terms of the fact that you also spent eight years on it. Yeah. Would you say that, like, as far as patience goes, I feel like right now in terms of writing, creating in general, there's a lot to be asked of authors and even people who just review books. Yeah. Like get it done and get it done quickly. Yep. Have you found, you know, that spending eight years on it was exactly what you needed for it to become what it is? I, I really do. You know, I turned I turned in a really early draft to my agent all the way back in 2014 or 2015. And um, uh, it just, we, we talked about it and if I had published it at that point, um, it would have been a totally different book. And I don't think it would have been the right version of itself or the version of itself that I was really hoping to tell. And I think that what you just asked is it's really so astute that like nowadays, especially there's such a rush, like, because so much of content is about instant gratification. Like, you know, you can turn on your phone and you can be entertained. You can do um, you can turn on your TV and if you can literally watch things, if, if, if you're too impatient to watch it in regular time, you can watch it in time and a half. Like you can read in time and a half on an audiobook. Like everything is like rush, rush, rush. And I think that advice that I often give to writers starting out, especially is when you think you have finished a draft, put it in a drawer for three months before you show anyone, before you do anything and then pick it up and read it again. Because time often shows us so much about what is not working that we cannot see when we're still inside of something. Like everything needs a season to sort of breathe and learn. And I, I really, really believe that. And I think, I think it just, it makes everything better. I, t I completely agree with you too. I, find, I found myself, especially after college, mm -hmm. doing that a lot. Mm -hmm. especially just having to turn an assignment after assignment mm -hmm. going into communications where a lot of the work that I was doing is just creative in general. Yeah. And I also did an emphasis in film. And so wow. doing the video content piece of that, and then trying mm -hmm. to navigate at one point, the idea of, you know, posting videos on YouTube and then getting into this, I find myself constantly sitting here and going, 
you know what? I'm not going to post the episode this week because it feels rushed. Yeah. I'm actually going to do more research, you know, and what I usually tell people that I connect with in terms of creativity, I'm like, ask yourself a lot of the time what you feel rushed on and then give that even more time to become exactly what it needs to be. Totally. That's so smart. I love the fact that you spent eight years on this book and it's also a giant success, like New York times bestseller list. It won the Google reads, um, the Goodreads like choice award for best mystery and thriller. I mean, that's like, that is so epic. Oh. So in my mind, is there like an accomplishment that you hold close to you in terms of like this book or the fact that you have several other books published mm. and you have an incredible family? I mean, in terms of everything, it's quite astonishing to know that you're also a mother and you've got this incredibly self-made career in a world that basically also tells you at the same time that your value as a woman is based on whether or not you're a good mother or not. Mm. Well, you know, I was just going to say something. First of all, I'm so impressed by you. I have to just stop and say that no. because <laughs> I, I would not to embarrass you, but if at your age, I had that understanding about time and patience, I think so often, especially when you're in your early twenties, your mid twenties, at least for me, I felt this sense of rush and urgency and, um, I wasn't patient with myself the way that I am now. So the fact that you are, and you sort of have that wherewithal and that wisdom, you should really be, you know, giving yourself a little pat on the back. I think for that, I think that's really incredible. Um, you know, what I'm the most proud about, and I'm really excited um, every time I sort of sit down to write because I love it so much. And, um, pe- you know, this book uh, is certainly my most successful book, The Last Thing He Told Me. And I'm always grateful. Something I think about is that it happened not with my first book or my second book, because if it happens early on, sometimes I think you can lose the thread of what matters and what matters is sitting down and doing the work and telling a story that you hope is going to bring people solace or joy or comfort in some way. Um, And because sort of, um, you know, my earlier books put me in a position where I could keep writing, but certainly didn't have this kind of reception. I always and still know that that's the goal, you know, that it's just about telling a really good story and, you can't get caught up in reaction or reception. When I was in my 20s, I went and heard a writer speak. Um, her name was Nicole Krause. She wrote a book called The History of Love. And not to misquote her, but she was talking about, and it, it really penetrated for me. I was writing my first book at the time, um, and she talked about um, that if she writes a novel and it affects five people, and five people are moved by it or five people are touched by it in some way and it makes their life a little better, it makes a hard day for them a little better, she has done her job. And that has always, ever since I heard that, that has always been how I feel about it too. You know, um, if five people, like that's why like when a girlfriend of mine, uh, my goddaughter actually sent me your um, TikTok one of my goddaughters, I have eight. Um, oh, wow. uh, uh, she sent me your TikTok and I loved it so much. It like literally made my whole day to like think that you were sitting there and it had that impact on you. Like I was just so excited. And so that's always for me what I think of as my uh, greatest accomplishment is if I hear that from somebody, it makes me so happy. And then the other thing I will say that I think Um, being a good mom and having a family that uh, matters so much to me. I always think about books as love letters to one person. Every time I write a book, I think of it as a love letter to one person. And the last thing he told me really turned out to be a love letter to my kid. And so I always think about that and that he'll have that one day makes me feel really good. Oh, that's so beautiful. And it really is an incredible love letter knowing especially having read the book obviously I feel like (laughs) it is just absolutely encompassing that to its fullest degree 
And I love how you talk about, you know, if you affect five people in a world of numbers, that is so important. Mm -hmm. And I know for me, at least the crazy thing also about the fact that the fact that I read your book, the way that it happened, Mm -hmm. you know, my friend and I were doing one of our walks that we would do all the time Mm -hmm. in the dead of winter, which, you know, can be great if it's not freezing cold. And for whatever reason, (laughs) it was super sunny and there was snow all over the ground and we were walking her dog and we came across one of those free book exchanges. And I think maybe three days prior, I had put your book into my, you know, TBR list on Goodreads. I was like, I I don't know when I'm going to read this, but I'm going to read this. And I literally saw it in the book exchange and looked at my friend Riley and was like, I, we need to take this. Like, we need to go back to our house so we can put a book back. Cause that's like the rule, you know, yeah. Take a book. (laughs) Yeah. So we literally grabbed, you know, the last thing he told me, and then we brought back another book. I read it in a week. Riley read it in three days. Wow. And we tabbed it all over the place. And then we, we just thought the book was way too special to keep. And so we tabbed it and then we wrote a note on the inside of the cover and put it back and literally checked it the next day and it was gone. Oh, and that makes me so happy. It's just one of those. So hearing you talk about how you genuinely appreciate and are very cautious and and very aware of the, of the effect that your book has had on people, but for you, it's just five. You're like, if I can affect five people's lives, Mm -hmm. then that's all I need it's, it just makes that so much more incredible. And I think that you having that, you know, intentionality prior to writing it and while you were writing it, I think is also why it's so successful because it connects with people so deeply. I mean, the comments that I was getting on this, on the video on TikTok were like, I know it's crazy. Like I relate to Hannah so much or I relate to Owen so much. Like I, you know, I haven't been able to connect with these people and I feel like I can't go home Wow. In this very backward sort of way, but somehow I can relate to this. And so it's a, like you impress me, honestly. Oh. Um, and so I just, nice. I also, considering how much intentionality, I mean, eight years of intentionality put into this book, mm-hmm. and you mentioned it being a love letter to your kid. Is there a character for you that you spent? maybe more time on but was even more intentional about given Mm -hmm. that there are characters in like multiple characters in the book but all of them have such unique voices and personalities you know I wrote a whole section of the book from Owen's point of view that I ended up not putting in because ultimately I thought I don't want her to know yet what's happening with him I don't want anyone to know I don't want the and I didn't like the idea that we would get to know if she doesn't get to know. I felt like it was cheating. So <laughs> uh, so I ended up putting in flashbacks instead. So everything about him that we learn is filtered through her memory. So his sort of story we'll see um, in the sequel part of it. And so, you know, it's so weird because the first thing I would think is I spent a lot of time trying to understand Owen, even though we don't see a lot of Owen in this, but I, I, you know, I have a hundred pages of Owen that didn't go into the book because I spent a lot of time trying to make sense of someone who is such a paradox that he is so honest in his love, like, and so honest and, and fiercely devoted to his child and then his wife. And yet had this whole other experience that, he kept quiet. And so, and he's polarizing because of it. I get notes from some readers who are like, I love him. I get it. And I get notes from other readers who are like, I do not approve zero. Um, (laughs) And this at all. (laughs) Exactly. So I, I think I spent a lot of time trying to understand him. And I also spent, um, I mean, I I'm probably the closest to Hannah though, like, because I spent so, so much time um thinking about what her journey was you know that 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 when i said earlier about i wanted her to be the hero of her life years and years ago i all the way back in like 2003 like that's how long ago um when the enron trial was happening 
um, which was a real inspiration for this book, um, I heard a quote of a woman who said, um, a, a woman on an interview was taught, Reese Witherspoon actually, was uh, on Charlie Rose. And she quoted Gloria Steinem saying, um, how important it is for women to watch other women become the hero of their own lives. And I think about that all the time. And so I think I probably spent the most time with Hannah trying to figure out what her journey to heroism looked like. Cause it really looks different for all of us. Oh, definitely. Do you gather inspiration like pretty consistently then in terms of just writing in general, but also, I mean, it sounds like life in general, you're on a constant wave of, you know, consuming, but also producing. I mean, I definitely get inspiration from a lot of different places. Music is a huge inspiration for me. Whenever I'm working on a book, I listen to the same song on repeat the entire time. Really? And it, cha <laughs> it changes with each book. So with this book, it was a live version of a Bruce Springsteen song called If I Should Fall Behind. And it's the version he sang at Madison Square Garden. Um uh, with his band and I listened to that more than 13,000 times when I was working on this book oh. so music often sometimes I'll hear a song and the song ends up unlocking a character for me or a story I want to tell um, I think I have a thing for Bruce Springsteen because for the new book that I'm working on not the sequel I'm actually writing another book as well um, uh, which is sort of a very messy uh, domestic mystery um, about the death of a family patriarch. And for that, that um, uh, book, it's been another Bruce Springsteen song called Highway 29 that I've been listening to. So um, yeah, I think music is a huge inspiration. I always start uh, writing by thinking about a question I want to answer, like the question of, can we ever know the people closest to us? And often those questions come from things I'm witnessing in the world around me, you know, um, and witnessing that people I love are struggling with. I never though ever write autobiography or like no, in all I've written six books and in none of them has anyone in my past come up and been like, Oh, that was about me. Like I never, I never write from my, from my life. Is that mainly just for privacy circumstances or is it more of a you know, this, these are my experiences. I might draw creative inspiration from them, but yeah, it, it's, it's more the, it's more the, the latter. And really what happens is once I, I never write with an outline. So once I sit down and I start like, so with the last thing he told me, all I knew was that that day her husband goes missing and someone at the, from the school brings a note to her that says protect her. That's all I knew when I started. And so I'm sort of discovering what they're discovering while they're discovering it. That's how I write, which means writing for me is a lot of rewriting, no outlining, no sort of post, um, no posts on the road. Um, there's this great E.L. Doctorow quote um, that writing a novel is like driving a car at night. You can only see as far out as your headlights. And that's really how I approach it. And because of that, these characters become really real to me. Um, in a way that like they're people, but they're not people I know, if that makes sense. So oh, like, yeah, definitely. Yeah. But what's so weird now is because it's going to, it's going to be a show on Apple that comes out in April and the characters now are all played by actors. And so um, Hannah Hall's played by Jennifer Garner and um, uh, Bailey Michaels is played by this wonderful young actress and Gowrie Rice. But now it's all screwy in my head because when I picture Hannah, I picture Jen Garner, you know, like it, 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 it has, it's morphed a little bit into like, Oh, now they feel like real people like that. Exactly. Yeah. They feel like it's like actually coming to life in, yeah. in some sort of way. Is that, yeah. has that process been pretty crazy, like pretty surreal, you know, watching your book, not only be written into a screenplay, like into a script, but also to, you know, see these people like actually take physical form. <laughs> it's so weird. And uh, my husband is a screenwriter actually. So he and I um, created the show together. So um, the extra level of weirdness is writing a show about marriage and love with the person you're married to. That so, is so romantic. What? So that has been sort of really, really crazy. Um, and sort of being on set and watching these wonderful actors 
take on these people and watch the show become something really separate from the book is it's all been so wild. It's just been wild. And I'm actually totally exhausted. So um, I can't, we, we, we finished post-production uh, at the end of the year. And, um, um, I think it's going to be April, but it could be sometime in the spring that it comes out. We don't have the, the definite date yet, but so we're almost there. Like it's been a, it's been a two year sprint. So we're very excited. Of just, you know, writing and also filming. Yes. So, um, yes, exactly. Oh, that's so exciting. Are you, um, particularly excited for it to be also on Apple TV in particular in terms of streaming platforms because now they're they're progressing so much so that they're winning you know Emmy nominate like they're getting Emmy nominations winning Emmy awards doing all these different things and even Oscar nominations and you know it's wild because it's streaming services and not just in the theater yeah is, is do you think a lot or think at all about the potential of some of your projects? You know, that's a good question. So with a lot of that is sort of out above my pay grade or like out of my control, like who responds to it. I love Apple because I love so much of, um, of the shows. And like, I loved Coda that they made last year. And I, I just finished watching Bad Sisters and Ted Lasso got me through COVID oh. like, so I think that they're making um, the type of shows that I love. So I love being in that company. That makes me feel really happy and good. Um, you know, there's also, I think that there's some, there, there are certain shows that I definitely um, uh, just really love. And I'm just so excited that that's the company we're, get, we're gonna be keeping. Um, so I am excited about that. That's so awesome. I, I definitely, I love Apple TV as well. And Ted Lasso for me has been yes. just absolutely, you know, a game changer. I used to play soccer and you, you know, did. In college. Yeah. So doing the whole, and I'm still trying to, you know, navigate the whole not playing, but like wanting to play, yeah. especially going back to grad school and, and understanding yeah. that I still have one year of eligibility. There's all these different questions that come up. Mm -hmm. and athlete mental health and retired athlete mental health has been a conversation that I've tried to make so much bigger through talking about Ted Lasso yeah. and so I just love the fact I love the fact that you've seen it but also just you know understand that piece of just Apple in general creating these very iconic like shows yeah. and movies that are changing a lot of different things because Coda also did the same thing I, I love, um, I love that show so much. So we definitely have the same taste between that and Sleepless in Seattle. Um, I have, I don't, I have an Instagram, um, that I don't post that much on, but I post sometimes. And, um, I actually have a clip from Ted Lasso on there. Like I love in the first season in the finale, when he says, do you believe in miracles? And like, every time I watch it, like, mic drop I just think it's so I think it's oh, yeah. so I I found myself several times just absolutely crying I mean the last episode of the second season mm -hmm. I was just sitting there bawling oh my, my eyes out and also what, is, what the heck Nate I don't understand what I know man <laughs> what is going on what is going on yeah not to mention also everything with like Rebecca I just yeah. it just sent me I was every single time I was just I found myself either crying or you know my headspace felt healed from the fact that they were bringing up retired athlete mental health it was just there were all these different things and yeah. I think that's also just in general like what creates a great story like the fact that it's a comedy also and can be so real yeah is amazing and I think yeah. that also especially with your book the last thing you told me you do such a great job of making each character their own person to the yeah. extent that every single one of them when you're going you know back and forth in time each timeline feels just as real there's that's no, so nice there's no like yeah I mean we're two years prior but this you know doesn't exist anymore I was fully in the two-year timeline as much as I was in the present day and I think that's such a great way to present a story and I guess I'm wondering also in terms of that sort of structure mm -hmm. did you was that inspiration that you had found from another author was that 
something that for you as a writer, you just absolutely love doing? Well, I'm really always interested in the idea of memory. You know, I learned, um, I do a lot of research when I'm working on a book and I learned this interesting fact about memory, which is, sounds super bizarre, but that basically you remember something for five years. I want to say it's five years. It might be eight years. I'd have to look it up. But you remember something for five years. And then what you remember after that time is the memory, uh, the memory of the, of the memory. So the memory shifts in your head. So after 10 years, what you're remembering is the memory of the memory of the memory, if you follow oh, wow. what I'm saying. So like, so like right now you just said like you just, you played soccer in college. So you still, you, you're still close enough to the memory that that is what you're remembering. But five years from now, you're going to remember remembering the soccer. I know that sounds wild, but the reason I think about it is I think we tell, I think the stories we tell ourselves about our lives often determine what's going to happen for us. I think memory is so powerful and how we think about it and how we get it wrong and how we get it correct and all of it. So I, I always play with flashbacks or memory infusing my stories in some way, because I think that's the only way to sort of figure out where you're going, you know? Um, and so, and I like the idea here that if you're trying, if, if the way she's using memory in this book, Hannah, is she's using it to try to figure out what she missed. And so you remember um, the most closely, you remember the most closely what just happened, which is why the memories go from closest to furthest, fur further back. Um, she's using them, she's sort of, um, uh, she's digging at them in order to figure out what happened and what she believes. And so in different versions, like in my new book that I'm working on, um, the memories take place over 50 years and they start the furthest back and move to the present for a different reason. But I think I'm always playing with memories in, in my books. It definitely struck me super hard. And I remember even talking to Riley about it a lot because I also had never read a book where, you know, there was, there was quote unquote two timelines happening all at once, mm -hmm. but it also was, it, it just fit the story so well mm -hmm. to the point where it just made sense. It was like, if, if we didn't, you know, use memory, if it would be almost not everything that it could be, like there would be oh, things. So nice. Yeah. And I definitely, especially when I was writing out questions for the interview and I was thinking about the book and thinking about even just the logistics of it, you know, the page numbers and the structure and potential writing habits you have. I was like, I wonder as you continue to go through this book now, knowing that you've spent eight years on it, it's, I mean, how was it keeping track of all of that? You know, you apply that concept of only being able to see as far as your headlights can see. Yeah. It's complicated. I mean, I would just say sometimes not well, sometimes I don't keep track of it well. And writing is really rewriting. Um, I ended up writing the memory section, all of it together and then figured out where it belonged in the book. So I told the front story, the present day story, and then I went in and figured out the memories and how that played in. So, um, but it's, that it is, it is, uh, I don't, sometimes one thing speaks to something and I get an idea of like what needs to be there, but the memory section actually came, it was gonna exist in a much different way um, through Owen's point of view. So it was much, it was very late in the process that I realized how the memories were going to operate. Yeah. Well, and even, you know, like Hannah and Bailey's dynamic also changed throughout yeah. the book. Was there, I think that that relationship also resonated with a lot of different people. Yeah. And so when you were writing that, was there something that you specifically wanted readers to really feel from that relationship in particular? Um, I wanted it to not be the typical stepmother, stepdaughter relationship, um, which is often you see that relationship depicted as two women in competition for the father slash husband's love 
Um, and I wanted it to be that what bonded them was that they knew how much Owen loved, loved, I'm going to move over here with this computer, um, how much Owen, um, loved both of them. So that, so what they had to bridge was just that they didn't really know each other and you know what I mean? So, um, uh, I wanted there to be a different sort of triangulation going on. And I really did want it to become the story of often the people that end up mothering us, the people that end up caring for us come to our lives in an untraditional way, whatever tradition means even nowadays, you know what I yeah. mean? So I wanted it to be an ode to found families and an ode to love, like wherever we end up finding it. I mean, and you, you already mentioned that you're writing a sequel, which is the, <laughs> which is incredible like I'm already excited oh that's so is nice. there is there anything that you can tell everyone about the Apple TV series about the sequel about honestly when do you expect like announcements for the TV series you know I actually don't know um that's not me keeping a secret I just don't know when it will I I my understanding is that I think um I hope it's coming out it's coming out in 2023 and I think it's probably coming out in the spring of 2023 um, and, um, uh, hopefully we're going to be getting, you know, we're almost done. We're finishing the finale. So we're really, we're really getting there. So, um, and then, um, and the sequel, what I will say about the sequel that I'm really excited about is if the, the last thing he told me was about sacrifice, the sequel is really about salvation. And so, um, I'm just I'm excited to spend some more time. Even though I spent eight years with them, I'm excited to spend some more time with these characters. Like I'm excited to continue to know these people and get to yeah, know these people. Exactly. That's so, and the, la the last thing I'll ask you too, because, you know, we've been talking for so long. is I'm so just, sorry about my phone. I apologize. Oh, that's, you're okay. totally fine. I think, well, and so my last question is just um, having your first book be so successful and, you know, gaining all of this attention from it gaining a whole new wave of, of readers and, um, you know, deciding to write a sequel. Have you felt the pressure for the second book to be just as good or if not better? And how, it, how has it been navigating all of the success that you've gained from the first book, knowing that, you know, you've been writing for so long and you have your process, but now there's this new found success. Um, that's, that's, um, a good question. I think that because I've been doing this for a while, um, or maybe I'm just, I don't know what it is, but again, maybe it is the five people thing. It really doesn't feel like it's changed anything for me. I'm still just as self-hating and self-judging <laughs> as I was. And I still do my best work if I get up early in the morning and do it like, nothing has really altered for me in that way. Um, I'm sure there's going to be times I want to throw it against the wall, just like all the other books. And, um, but I think that the bigger thing is that I just feel gratitude that people, you know, I never intended to write a sequel. I'll say that like, this was, um, I knew in my mind what I thought happened. I always, when I finish a book, even if that's where the book ends, in my mind, I know what happens to them later. So I knew what I thought happened. Yeah. But I didn't intend, that was going to be the end. I didn't intend it to be the first of two books, but the, the sort of the outpouring of love I've received and the request for the second book, I'm like, all I want is to read and write. And if people want me to write more about this, you got it. Like, I feel very, very lucky. I'm sure if we have another chat, like when this is coming out, I'm going to, you're going to ask me that question again. And I'm going to be like, I'm freaking terrified. It's awful. <laughs> what if people don't like it? What if you don't like it? What if you make another TikTok and you're like, listen, I love <laughs> the first one. The second one, I have some issues. I will, I will still love your TikTok, even if you say that, but I will say that I live a little in fear of that, but you know what? That's part of it. Oh, also before we get off too, this is the, uh, heartburn. The one I was telling you, the Nora Ephron book I love. This yeah. is, um, my husband got me for my birthday. This is a first edition copy of it. The one I have upstairs that I read every year is ripped and in terrible shape. But if you love sleepless in Seattle and love, you've got mail, you should get 
a heartburn. I highly recommend it. It's it's uh and your mom would probably really like it too. Um, oh, probably. Probably really knowing knowing me and my mom, we would probably sit down and do like a little book club. <laughs> yes. It's really it's pretty great. I was just going to say this um it's 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 such a treat to talk to you. So, thank you for Oh making, my goodness. Taking it's time to do it. I'm so happy that I could, you know, take an hour of your time just to even talk to you and get to know you a little bit and also just thank you so much for answering all the questions and just you know, being so open about your process as well. You know, I think that this whole idea of like gatekeeping for whatever reason has surfaced and I'm like, no, it's just, we're just creative people being creative people. Exactly. Like it's just artists being artists. Exactly. Laura Dave's Apple TV series is scheduled to drop on the platform on April 14th. So put it in your calendars. It's already in mine. If you want, we can have a little watch party. I would absolutely love that. Otherwise, if you haven't read Laura Dave's book also, I have a link in the description of this episode for you guys to click on and go buy the book. Obviously, you know, at this point, I feel like you know that I'm going to recommend that you read it or else I wouldn't have an entire episode dedicated to interviewing the author. So Go ahead and go buy The Last Thing He Told Me, especially before the Apple TV series comes out. It is going to be immaculate. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode. Thank you so much, Laura, Dave, and her team for setting up this interview, for being a part of this interview and this episode and the show. It absolutely means so much to me that you came on Coffee with Kayla. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And I will see you guys next time on Coffee with Kayla for... Who knows? The Oscar nominations came out today on the 24th. And there are some things that I I really like. And there are some things that I really, really am pissy about right now. You may have that to look forward to on next week's episode. So I will see you guys next time.